welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, a podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991, from the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between. We will rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the Dustin Director video. Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watched The Josephine Baker Story. Josephine Baker's story chronicles the life of the legendary performer, played by Lynn Whitfield. In the 1920s, Baker fled the racist violence she was witnessing in the United States and landed in Paris, where she eventually found great success as a dancer and singer. She also utilized her platform to campaign for civil rights equality, which led to a tumultuous return in the U.S. Teleplay by Ron Hutchison, directed by Brian Gibson, and premiered on HBO on March 16, 1991. Have you seen the Josephine Baker story before? Yes, I have. Wow. Okay. I wasn't expecting that. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Did you remember that you saw it? (laughs) uh, While we were watching it, I remembered. And it was when she was... Well, okay. So this movie starts off where she's really old. Yes. And I was like... It starts in 1969. Which is uh, um, she... six years before she passes away. Yeah. So she's like in her 70s, because I think she, she passed no, away. No, she was 68 when she died. She was, oh, she was in For some reason I had in my head, she was 80. No. Way off. <laughs> I was way off. Uh, she was in her early 60s. Yeah, but I remember when they showed her really old, I was like, oh, I've seen this, because I remember her makeup. Okay. When she was older, because I remember, I must have watched it with my mom when it was on HBO, but I just remember how the old makeup looked really bad. I think it looked fine. I don't know, compared to other old makeup we see in certain movies, I think it looked pretty good for a TV movie. I, I think, it just, like, when she got older, it's like, I don't know how to explain it. I know that it's a young... I don't think they went too young... far with it. Yeah, it's but it's like you can tell that they made her like very jowly and like giving her all these like old wigs and stuff. And I'm, I'm just looking at pictures of Josephine Baker, like the, the real Josephine Baker. Right. And just seeing they're probably just trying to really emulate what she did look like instead of using... Like an older actress or something. Yeah, it's tough when you have a younger like person a like Lynn Whitfield. 25 to 30 year old playing someone twice their age. Exactly. I mean, they, they do actually use a couple other actresses for Josephine Baker, but those are the younger kids. You have like a, the 14 year old version, and then you have one that's like 18 for some reason, and then you have no, when Lynn she Whitfield was... when yeah. she's like, you know, it, you know right at the the time that she leaves the u.s she but left... there's like this weird transition where they have like a 14 year old and then they have like another one and then they have like her there so they show when she was so when 
When the story, this movie begins, it's like her writing her story. Cause she's she like does, writing letters to her adopted kids. For her children, right yes. Right before she's but, kicked out of her castle for bankruptcy. Yeah. And, and she's like flashing back her It's also kind life. of like, I know she has a memoir and I know her kids have a memoir. Memoirs about her. So it starts off with that, and then it goes to when she was a child, and it shows her when she's about, like, eight years old, and then about how she grew up in St. Louis. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah, for some reason I thought there's a transitional phase between 14 and then, like, the adult version. She, when they showed Lynn Whitfield, she was 19 at that time. Yeah, but for some reason I, again... It's only been a couple days, but I, I thought that as another separate actress playing the 19-year-old as opposed to, like, the 20-something-year-old that goes to France, which I thought was weird, but I, I'm probably just misremembering No, that, that was her when she, from 19 so. all the way to 68. All right. Either way, all I know is that there are definitely three actresses yeah. that play. <laughs> There's the really young 8-year-old and then, like, the 14-year-old, and then it, like, skips to her being 18, 19, and that's when she leaves to go to France. And there's really only one scene with the eight-year-old, which is an impactful one where she's, you know, talking about how she was in St. Louis in 1917. I at least wrote that part down. Um, and, and seeing um, 39 different, you know, 39 black people killed in the streets. And you see her, like, running away and trying to escape someone trying to grab her. Um, so that's virtually the only scene you see with the eight-year-old. Right. And there's, and that, like, a man who's, like, set on fire and, you know, like, it's... It was a real thing that did happen mm-hmm. in East St. Louis. It was called the East St. Louis Massacre that was just violent attacks against African Americans in July of 1917. So it was just... It was already, like, a very small... At that time, a small town. East and, St. Louis, I think, has always been kind of a lower... Um, economic place yeah and um where they lived at that point it was very it was just like poverty level already so but these you know white men came by and massacred so many um, african americans out to like like cast them out of that city basically yeah and it's considered out completely by yeah and it's considered like one of the worst case of labor related violence in the 20th century i had yeah a lot of the stuff that she references like i even had to listen to podcasts i listened to two or three different podcasts just about her life because this movie reminds me so much of the Lucy Desi movie we watched where everything just like fast forwards to- too much in time. It's like she has so much going on in her life yeah. that you can't put it all in a this is two hours. Yeah. From, from that perspective I completely agree. There's there's a lot of quick progression. There's a lot of large time jumps and there's a lot of things that are like heavily glossed over um, just so they can pack in her entire life into this one feature film so from that standpoint yes but in terms of like structure and everything else this is much better than lucy and desi (laughs) yeah i I wasn't saying it's not it's not bad like that but i i was like having trouble i was like 
I need... And it doesn't jump back and forth in time. It, no. It's a standard... Like, there's a couple random flashbacks when you see her as an old person. Yeah, when again, it's but her writing this story. It's chronological. For yeah. But yeah, there, there are, like, big jumps where you just skip, like, seven or eight years. Yeah, I just wanted to know, like, what year it was and how old she was at that point and, like, what was going on in the world. <laughs> because it's just... There... Uh, things just flash by too quickly and that's why I was like I need someone besides this movie to explain to me what's going on yeah it, I mean I don't know about you but I really was not familiar with Josephine Baker's story at all I, I've heard the name but you know, know she's she... not a figure that's taught in at least not my public school. Oh, in school I didn't learn I, I didn't learn about her until maybe when this movie actually came out yeah. When I watched it with my mom. <laughs> but I still didn't really... I, I just knew who yeah, she was right. growing up. Like, she's a very prominent figure in... Just... I didn't know she was really into, like, the civil rights stuff. Yeah, the activism The aspect, activism right? and yeah. that stuff I didn't know. I just remembered her as being, like, a, one of the first black actresses... To be in a movie. She was like in a silent movie. She was like one of the first. Yeah. And then she's... not the very... Yeah. So that's how I knew her as like a singer-actress. I didn't know much about all of the activism activism that she did. And then also, this podcast I listened to, it was called Cool People Who Do Cool Shit. Um, She was... They glossed this over, but during World War II... She was like a spy and she helped people out during World War Two, and they kind of gloss all of that over. They gloss a lot of it. Yeah, they, they mention how she's helping the resistance efforts and they also talk about how Hitler kicked her out of her home, mm-hmm. which basically like she and she was living in Paris, which basically meant like the Parisian government found out that she was spying or something or other and, and like against their wishes and that got her kicked out, I think is the intention of what the the movie scene said but again i didn't listen to the podcast so you can tell me if the movie got, got I mean, my interpretation wrong yeah they eventually did and that's when they show her in that um in the movie they show her singing to the troops that's like somewhere else north africa is what in they north africa okay yeah they took her to north africa but she was also a pilot that i learned because one of her so she was married four times and they didn't show her so at least legally married four times yeah because the count is not a legal marriage but they treated it like they treat it as it was and then also the person that she was with before she died they didn't even show him in the movie but okay there was there was someone after joe there was someone after her last husband joe that she was with where they said that they were like not technically married, but she she just says it, you know, okay. like a common law marriage right, or something. Right. But yeah, but she and that was another thing that I learned. She was with a lot of people. Yeah, and, and they don't they don't really show it. They, but they, they kind they of allude, like imply that they show her free spiritedness. Yeah, and again, not in a negative way at all. No, either like they they talk about like um. And so she, she moves to Paris in 1925, and then, like, in that narration, she's talking about how she has the daytime friend and nighttime company and this guy named uh, Bichette. 
Sydney Bichette. And this is in the letter to her kids that she's writing, yeah. saying, like, this is, he was my nighttime company. So, like, I guess either she's really open and honest with her kids or, you know, just the way the script was done. So, like, that's the first illusion. And then, like, a, a next scene later is when she's hooking up with this guy named Victor, who she meets at a party, and he lavishes her for a little while and, and then dumps her when she talks about wanting to start a family. Right. And then that's when the count comes in. So, they, you know, it's very quick succession, and this is all while... She leaves, she leaves her actual husband behind in the U.S. without actually getting divorced. Yeah, she technically never got divorced from... From the actual Will, Baker, Willie Baker. William Baker, yes. Her first husband was when she was 13 years old. Mm, okay. And they don't... In, they don't talk about that at all. No, they don't talk about it in the movie, but she was married to someone by the name of Willie Wells. So, um... She was 13, but they don't know much about the guy. Like, if he was also, like, 13 or how old he was. Right. But it only yeah, lasted, only like, they, a year. The only thing they talk about with her teenage years is how she was starting her stage acting and dancing at 14. And how she right. kind of learned that she could get some acceptance from this world. And she could be her natural, goofy, flamboyant self on stage. And that, like, appealed to her. Mm-hmm. Um, and they showed that through, like, her performing in, like, blackface as well, like, with a bunch of other people. Yeah, through their minstrel performances. Minstrel performances, which is something that we had talked about, and, like, like was this a thing? And yes, it, it was. Yeah. It was a thing for various different reasons. So, like, it could be self-satire, it could be, um, the only way that they could get on stage is to kind of, like, mask their identity by putting on the same identity, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. right? Obviously, a, a, a nasty caricature of it, but you know, still. Um, so there's like multiple different reasons why, and there were traveling showcases that had black actors using blackface. So that showed that too, which was an interesting way to sort of introduce that little history lesson that I, did, I wasn't fully fully aware of either. Yes. Um. Yeah, so anyway, so back to that. So her, they didn't show her third husband, who was Jean Lyon, who apparently mm. is well known in France. And um, he was a pilot, and he they were married for only three years. Is this before or after Joe? This is before. Okay. This is before World War II she was okay. married to this man. They didn't show it in the movie at all, no. this guy. Um, he was a pilot and he taught her how to fly planes so during world war ii she was flying planes like dropping stuff Mm. off and like picking people up and stuff like that which i that's what i had to learn through podcasts yeah it's amazing because they do talk a lot about how she was like she won all of these medals yeah we don't even know what they were for they she just says she won all these medals they, they mentioned that she was awarded medals in the movie, but they yeah. only show her singing for the troops once. Right. And they say that she was going around and, and performing for the troops. That's all they said in the movie. So, you know. I understand that, like, I would want an entire movie of just her in World War Two, During yeah. World War Two times. This is this is a life that deserves a miniseries. That's, I was thinking, like, they should redo this again and make it, like, a ten-part HBO limited series. There are a couple of things that surprise me. One, that this is not on HBO Max. Even though it's all, an HBO. Even though it's an HBO movie. We had that with some other movie that was an HBO. Yeah, it wasn't. 
was cast a deadly spell? No, that was on Max. That was. It, um, it was something recently where I was like, it's not even on HBO, but it's an HBO movie. But that that's number one. Number two is like, because this was just an HBO movie, nothing against it, but like, let's be honest, it's not the same appeal as a major motion picture that's released in theaters. I'm surprised that no one else has done this story in any fashion since. It's been 30 plus years and no one else has tried to do another version of Josephine Baker's story with someone who's extremely impactful. And I, I, maybe it's because she's not as well known to U.S. audiences overall. Because she's... Because, well, she, like, her returns were not well received for the most part until, She like, was like... End. So, listening to the podcasts again, she was world known. That's yeah, why... World known, but, I mean... The movie made it sound like when she came back to the U.S., especially in 1935, that she was just lambasted by critics because and just of... encountered nonstop racist... Right. You know, so like... But she was still world-known. Yeah. But as a contrarian, and... and yeah, you know, like they... She was known for her civil rights movement, which was not the most popular thing in the world of the 60s. I'm saying that she was like Beyonce. Like, she was Beyonce in the 20s to the 60s. I No, I, I get what you're saying, but I'm saying to the U.S. audiences specifically, they are I not get going it. to treat her that way. I'm just saying that she, she is known. I know. Like, not like, even if she, people hate her or love her, that she, people all around the world knew who she was. Yeah, so there should be more... Like love movies. for her, oh, more movies and, and you about know, like people more attempts to tell this story okay. in a more in depth way. I'm, I'm surprised that hasn't happened in the thirty plus years, unless again it's because there wasn't a huge amount of love for her in the U.S. specifically, historically. It was more worldwide European love, whereas yeah, she, it was U.S. Well, recognition and knowledge, but love in the European side. Right. Well, I think that she's more loved. By the French, because, I mean, that's, she resided there most of her life. Yeah. And she's buried, she's buried in Monaco. And she's no longer, she was no longer a U.S. citizen. She renounced that, like, a a long time back. Right. So, I don't know, maybe that's part of it. But it would be interesting to see the story done again in a larger Like, when it comes to, like, biopics about musicians, I get, like, annoyed it's tough in this one like i don't know how many actual recordings there are of her singing some of these songs but they did not use her voice this is not lynn whitfield's voice either no it's carolyn dennis doing the singing who was a singer for bob dylan as well as her uh, as well as his like ex-wife um and you know i don't know the difference i I just don't because i don't i don't have the you know the historical no, knowledge it's of Josephine just, Baker. Whenever they I don't do, know if they like, could have used her voice. It would have right. sounded very crackly from the old yeah, recordings. The recordings. So I understand why they didn't, but Yeah, re record it. That that can definitely be part song. of the issue with musical uh, biographies. I'm just yeah, I, I just haven't really a lot of biopics about musicians are really ninety percent of them are not great, at least to me, because I'm just like the, the best one that I can think of is What's Love Gotta Do do With It about Tina Turner. Which I haven't seen. To be honest with you, it's it's tough for, for all biographies. 
like a lot of biopics, especially are, are people the same who type have really lived a life like yeah. Josephine. Ba- That's why we need like ten hours because it's just... so much to cram in. I think you know even something like the Andy Kaufman one, which is one that I I've watched I don't know like ten different times, mm-hmm. like The Man on the Moon. Like, that's a really good movie, in my opinion, but it glosses over a whole bunch of shit and makes stuff up specifically because it needs to fit this format of the movie. Yeah. It's always going to happen. So it's a matter of, like, what can you accept? What can you get away with? I don't know what they might have made up in this one um, or if they just decided not to make anything up and just decided to omit it altogether. Um, I mean, there's, like newsreels there's like fake newsreel footage that they use of like her going to a european tour and they use headlines and newspapers to kind of help with the passage of time Mm -hmm. but even that has stuff that glosses over what seem like major events like there's this one headline that i wrote down that says student kills self for chance to see baker or something like that Mm -hmm. it's like that sounds like a big event that you know should be talked about she was world known it was like michael jackson level yeah this in the 20s and 30s and 40s yeah and like again hardly i mean people our age how many of them know josephine baker i don't know maybe beyond just the name maybe just by the name and then they vaguely know how i know her as like a singer actress right like i don't besides watching this movie and now listening to like three podcasts yeah that's why I was like, I need to know more about... I need, like, all the details of her life because they kind of gloss things over. That's that's one of the benefits of this movie. This That's one of the good things about this movie is that it really gets you invested in what she has done. Yeah, I it wanted really to wants know you... what was going to happen next because I forgot. <laughs> but I wish it could have gotten into a little bit more... Like, if you're going to nitpick and cherry-pick different events in her life maybe reduce it even further and get into the psychology of it because they they seem to want to do that at times where they're talking about like her obsessiveness and how she really just goes all out and and overspends on like buying a zoo worth of animals yeah they, they show random animals here and there but they don't really get into that whole thing at all she had like the menagerie of she was like one of the first people to have like exotic animals and what i also learned was that she when she growing up when she was younger in st louis she also just like took all the animals in mm-hmm. their house like it could be like rats or mice or whatever like dogs cats yeah like and then that would like also like make her mom mad they don't really talk about that at all we just see it because she has like a cheetah and then she also would observe the animals and that's how she learned to dance mm-hmm. is by watching the animals move. Mm-hmm. So like when she did her first dance, the one that she's known for with the banana skirt, banana dance, yeah. they, they called her like an animal. Like she looked like an animal. Right. And yeah, that, that context would have been nice to kind of focus in on, like show a little bit out in the childhood, show that. And then we see the extension of it and when she just adopts 12 kids. Like she right. has to be this perpetual caretaker. Right. But there's also this very selfish nature about her that they present in this movie. I don't know how real it is, but I, I would like to have like more of those conversations, have a little bit more of that insight into how her mind is working because it does seem like she has this very compulsive 
mindset to like uh, just yeah like she be became a, you know famous at like 19 so yeah and she didn't have a good chance to to grow up and, and yeah. like she she escaped a very treacherous situation and was able to become i don't know like like she didn't have like you, you don't a have manager like yeah. it's like when kids they talk about like how the count is sort of that yeah, but he like groomed her. So I don't, I don't, I don't like that whole storyline with him. It was, it was interesting because yeah, like it was presented at least in the beginning that like as like, if he's is... in love with her and enchanted by her. Well, then... but he also says at the at the start like I'm not trying basically that I'm not not trying to get into your pants. I want to but manage you. But he did you. sleep with it. They started yes. sleeping together. Yes, and so it'd be interesting to know like how that progressed a little bit more too. Um, if that was just like her growing to accept and see like this person is treating me right so i'm gonna you know i don't know how much i care for him whatever older he was than her i don't know but i know that he was older and you know she's like late teens early 20s at this time she doesn't really have like she automatically becomes famous because of that dance that she did with the banana skirt yes and at that point she just becomes like one of the most richest people in the world she gets at that time in the 20s she was getting a thousand dollars a month which um in today's money would be seventeen thousand dollars a month so she was getting lots of money like immediately she became famous immediately and then she loved all this attention Mm -hmm. and being you know being able to like provide for herself and then she would send money to her her sisters and And her mom. mom all the time and she she wasn't mad about it she's like yeah i gotta i'll give him whatever yeah because again like caretaker yeah she she wants she yeah she had that she's like she was always like i know my roots and i want to take care of like whoever took care of me even though she had like this tumultuous relationship with her mom even up until like her mom's death yeah, I, I just kind of wish that we would have gotten a little bit more of that relationship. We see a tiny bit at the beginning where the right. mom is extremely unaccepting of her performance background. She does not want her daughter to be a performer, um, yeah, and she doesn't want her to be leaving. But then there's also this part where Josephine says that she's, you know, she's talking to her sister, and she's like, "I'm going to bring you with me as soon as I'm set up. I'm going to bring you mm, over to yeah, Paris I with promise, me." Promise, yeah. I promise. I promise. And then there's this situation where the sister passes away and she doesn't even go back to the U.S. for the funeral because she's afraid of confronting the racist ideologies of the country. Right. And, and so, like, there's, you know, there's room there to talk about that mental conflict, mm-hmm. right? And be like, I could have done more. I could have actually brought her over and why didn't I? Right. Right. Yeah, she kind of beats herself up, but she was like, "That's my biggest regret." Yeah, is not going to my own sister's funeral, even though I promised her I would bring her over. And she does eventually bring the mom to Paris after mm-hmm. a certain amount even of time, the... but that could be that the mom didn't want to go for quite a while until it became like a certain age. Right. She, you know, that was best for her. Um. So. Yeah. Like, the, the relationship with the mom is interesting because it seems like, you know, the mom is going to disown her, but then when she does come back to the U.S. to do this yeah, tour in she... 1935, the mom is there, and she introduces the Count to her and, and, and to the world as her husband. Right. 
So that's the end of that scene with the mom. Well, the reason why they come back is because the Count is like, I think... Because she becomes huge and big in Paris. They do... She starts traveling across Europe. All of Europe. All of Europe. And she's now famous there. And then the Count comes up with this thing, like, I think we should bring your show to the U.S. now. Yeah. And she's, like, battling with herself. She's like, I don't want to go... Because this is like... I'm not ready yet. This, this is, is 1935. In the, this is in the mid-30s. This is still before World War II. But... Like, it's coming up. Yeah, people are aware of, like, the the, the tension. Mm-hmm. And um, she doesn't want to go back. And the Count is... But his he's... argument is basically, like, when have I been wrong? Right. Like, like everything else I've done for you and said for you, like, this, this has worked out in your favor. You should do this because I think it's going to be right. And here's why. Because you're going to be at the Ziegfeld Follies on Broadway. This is like your last like white whale dream is to be on Broadway. You're going to get that. You're going to be the headliner. You will not have to sing any racist songs. You get to pick the songs. So like it's all on your terms. Yeah, and then she when she does go there, she gets um, kind of she doesn't she's not well received. Instant booze. Yeah. Uh, people are before, not... before even the performance, you see like you know her racist treatment in the hotel where they go right. to the lobby and the hotel clerk is basically saying, "Thank you so much for being here, but you can't use the lobby. The count can use the restaurant. You cannot use the restaurant. We're happy to provide room service." And they show them going through the kitchen to get to their room because they can't be seen, even though she's the headliner in Broadway. Right. And we saw this with like other movies, like yeah, it's, it's a very and stuff like that. Yeah, very, very common um, treatment uh, at the time. Right. Um, and, and then, yeah, when the performance happens, you see all these reporters going off and, like, giving their racist reviews in the telephone to be transcribed by the clerk at the newspaper office. Um, you know, like, not outright, not outright saying that it's because of her race, but, <laughs> you know, because of the, the way things are done, it's like, oh. It, and also, I guess, apparently there was some bad audio quality that the movie doesn't show, but they... Oh, something happened. But they, yeah, they basically indicate that, like, her microphone wasn't working too well, uh, and they have dialogue about that in the movie afterwards, but when you're seeing her performance, it sounds fine. But everything talks about how, like, mousy she is and how quiet she is and how, you know, this isn't going to work for a U.S. audience, but maybe it plays in Europe and all this kind of stuff. So they kind of use that as a springboard to just be, you know, vaguely racist about the entire thing. Um, and so because of that failure, she breaks off the relationship, business and personal, with the Count. Sends him back to Paris while she stays and tries to reconcile and clean up things. And then, like, you see the Count, like, walk off into the street. And then in the next scene, you just she hear that he's he died. died. You yeah. just hear that he's died. We knew that his health was failing from a previous scene. But, like, now the Count's gone. Um... Which, again, is just another example of how quickly these things just progress. Mm-hmm. And then we get Lieutenant Williams. World War Two. Yeah, the Count died off screen. And then, like, because, okay. Yeah, she breaks it off with Paris. And, and then she's talking to Bichette again in this club in the U.S., mm-hmm. which is, like, the second and last time we see Bichette, too. Uh, and then she's back in Paris with another newspaper announcement that also mentions Hitler. 
And it, like, briefly mentions that she's helping the resistance efforts Mm -hmm. and whatever. And she's, like, kicked out of her home. And in the next scene, she's sick in this hospital bed. See, this is where... Lieutenant Williams comes to ask her to perform for the troops. Right. So it's, like, combining these two major events where, like, she's, like, like, being told she can't have children. (laughs) And also, here's this guy. I don't know if Lieutenant Williams is an actual person or if it's, like, an amalgamation of the entire... I think it was an amalgamation because I don't think that person was real in her life yeah i tried to look up sydney williams and i couldn't find anything yeah i think that was just a made-up person uh but in this case played by lewis gossett jr yeah and he is so this is like where i (laughs) got confused and so the whole she did get sick like after Mm -hmm. the war after she was uh helping people like she got kicked out of her um chateau that she owns in uh, France, and she's in northern Africa. She did get sick for a year and a half, but she doesn't find out um, until, like, with her third husband that we never see in the movie at all, hmm. that she she was trying for children, and she was having miscarriages, and then it wasn't until, like, in 1941 is when you know she gets like this hysterectomy basically Hmm. which they show in the movie like saying like you're really sick so we had to remove your uterus right that that part which is when he comes in yeah while she's laying there recovering saying hey can you perform for the troops oh by the way you're like not gonna have children ever and that part was like I don't know. That was too over dramatized. I was like, this is where I'm like, what the hell's going on now? It was a weird combination. Yeah. It's one performance, and then, you know, you see her meeting the band leader, Joe Bouillon. Mm hmm. I hope I'm pronouncing that close right. He's the I band really leader. Uh, yeah. And, and when she, yeah. And they performs have. Performs for the troops. They yeah. have a nice enough conversation, whatever. Uh, they do the performance where she works to integrate the 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 soldiers because it's all white people in the front and then the the black yeah. soldiers are off to the side and she works to integrate them while she's singing and everything yeah and then cut to 1947 and she's now married to joe yeah more time jump that's a like what happened between like 1945 and 1949 or something yeah there's no ability to build a relationship with joe because it's like a, a it's like all of a sudden they've couple been sentences married. and then they perform together and then they're uh, married, they're married. And they seem like they've been married for longer than they have been for some mm. reason they seem like they're business partners and not really like man like a husband and wife yeah, but then no time to talk about that because yeah. it's now 1951 yeah. and back to the U.S. for a new tour and Lieutenant Williams is there, I guess, at every single stop because <laughs> like he's yeah, like in the crowd of every yeah. every shot for some reason. And uh, it's basically just him. He's also there as like a sounding board to talk about the extended racism after the war. It's like, well, we helped the troops. Like, we helped bring this war to a close. And Lieutenant mm-hmm. Williams is like, yeah, but... This is why, like, you know, we still got a long way to go with with integration and, and, you know, being accepted. So. When it gets to this thing where she goes to the Stork Club. Mm hmm. And they. The servers just won't serve her. She's like, we've been here an hour. Everyone else is getting their food. Like, what's going on? And then they realize they're not serving her because of 
her being black. And in the corner, I had to look this guy up too, Walter Winchell. I've heard the name before. I had to listen to a separate podcast about this man. (laughs) I listened to like a full day of these people. Like before this, like before this scene, we see Walter Winchell giving a report. Yeah. And his is like one of the few positives where he, you know, is sounding off as if he's an ally of minorities. Which is how he is portrayed for a while. Yeah, so Walter, the the podcast I listened to was, it's actually interesting. I only listened to the one episode about him. It's called We Didn't Start the Fire, and these people go through each... Oh, so he was in that song. Yeah, he's in the song, Maybe We Didn't Start... that's right. Yeah. Somewhat heard of it. So they go through each verse, or, yeah, each verse. So it starts with, you know, Harry Truman, Doris Day. Yeah. So the first episode is all about Harry Truman, sure. the second... So each person or like pop culture reference mentioned in the song we didn't start the fire by these billy people, joel in case anyone doesn't yeah know. by billy joel these people talk about it so walter winchell was in that song okay so he is like he was He's like apparently there at the store club yeah he is very well known he's like a newspaper newspaper gossip columnist he's like tmz in yeah. the 50s but he used to be a vaudeville performer, so he's very, like, on the know or has the finger on the pulse of everything Broadway. So maybe that's mm-hmm. why he had this whole thing with Josephine, because, okay. you know, she's a Broadway person. Yeah. And they had this whole back and forth hatred towards each other for, like, ten years. And she yeah. even says that he sort of ruined her career for like a good decade because of what he was saying about her like in the tabloids and whatever yeah because uh, i mean it, it speaks a lot to what's still happening in the news these days too or just editorial comments whatever etc just the, the impetus was that walter winchell was there at the store club and he never said anything publicly about her refusal to get service grace kelly was also there yeah and and did speak up i guess but um Josephine Baker said to a reporter at some point, well, why don't you ask Walter Winchell? He was there. Yeah. And, like, him being called out, he then denied that he was there, and it started, like, this big thing where it's, like, a he said, she said, and then Walter Winchell took it even further and basically was accusing her of being a communist, which is, again, like... During that time, yeah. ...that Lieutenant Williams was also talking about. It's like, well, yeah, we helped him out in the war, but now they're throwing other labels that aren't the n-word at us like communist yeah, that's like another way to kind of like hold and... us down is by accusing us of being that instead um yeah and so that's being done and so she's basically forced back to paris because yeah she was forced to cancel like all of her engagements in the u.s and then she goes back to france but then he's also like egging her like why don't you just go back to france then like right you, like, know. you aren't even a u.s citizen yeah. what are you doing here yeah yeah so it you know it's that kind of like nastiness that you still see all over like now media social media like political commentators and all this kind of stuff that's still happening Mm -hmm. now you didn't think it happened as much back then but yes it did still happen Mm -hmm. just not you know (laughs) it wasn't a 24-hour cycle yeah and then then. now like when she goes back it goes back to like now it goes to her family life where she starts to adopt she adopts 12 kids Eventually 12. Eventually. It's, not, it's not all at once. It's like yeah, a, a but it's build. like every few months she gets 
a child, and she calls it like this the quote her the rainbow, rainbow tribe because she wants children from like different countries and she wants them all to live together like harmoniously mm-hmm. like hey look at us we're one big happy family yeah like look this is possible yeah and her husband is getting pissed off about this is this. joe joe and, yeah his bully on mostly at least in the movie i don't know about real life but in the movie it's all portrayed by like look i understand what you want to do but there is a limited amount of money that we have here. Right. And you are not performing as much anymore because of all these different circumstances. And so we can't keep affording additional people. Children. So if you want to bring on another child, we have to I'm make out. money. Yeah. And then it's like, we got to make money. And if you keep doing this, I am out. And she keeps doing it. Yeah. So he's out. So she tries she's to like call raised... his bluff, and he was not bluffing. Yeah. And um, she brings her mother over, and so it's yeah. like her and her mom taking care of these 12 kids. And it's not until... And she goes back on the road. That get, again, big jump in time of like eight years where somehow she's taking care of these kids by herself and with her mom or whatever. Yeah. And now she's back on the road in 1967, showing her decline in abilities, showing her decline in her voice quality. Um, and then you see a cutaway of her mom back home, and this is the unfortunately, you know, unintentional humorous aspect of the movie, where we have another very sudden death, sort of like, um... And where the... Yeah, where the wild... Wild, wild hearts, hearts can't, can't be, broken. be broken. We got there. <laughs> the, anyway. the horse movie. Where, like, she's... I mean, I we both had to pause we had to and laugh because it was like it. such a horrible. It was way. so bad. I'm sorry. But I mean, the actress is is good, Vivian Bennell. But just showing Nothing someone say, you. "Hey, children, lemonade," and then she literally drops and dead while smiling. She has like this smirk on her face, like lemonade, and then she like does a little half turn to the camera and just like slowly slumps off. I'm like, oh come on! <laughs> like, can you show like a better way of like show? Or don't even show her die at all. Just be you like, didn't yeah. Show the count die. Yeah, just be like, oh, and in 1959, mother died. So or now. Or don't show her slumping. You can say, children, lemonade, and you can maybe have them like running to the house, and then the next shot is like her on the ground. Okay, yeah. You know, like don't like show that. her as she's I think dying. I think it's the shot of like her smiling while slowly falling to the ground that Which really like, made us lose it. Yeah, because it's just so awkward looking yeah yeah she's still performing they still show josephine performing while this death is happening obviously in a different location and they even have subtitles on the song for the first time because this is a french song and it's important because it shows it's talked it talks about her you know like activism in a sense like it's it's talking about bringing the world together so they yeah, wanted the to have those her skin and yeah, how hope she's and acceptance been, and all this uh-huh. um you know, really but I mean, it, I think at this point she's kind of like considered a has been because she's mm-hmm. doing like smaller clubs and trying to do the best that she can. Yeah, and again, it is showing like she's not as spry as she was. Her vocal quality is not as strong as it was mm-hmm. in this particular scene, at least. Um, and then you see her getting kicked out of her house, which is basically going back to the beginning of the movie where she's now kicked out of her house, literally thrown out. And then she talks briefly about how Grace Kelly takes her in. And then it's now 1975. So now another eight years have passed. And she's back in Paris for this big review. Yeah, she's going to do like what Madonna's doing now. Like 40, 50 years of her career. Mm -hmm. 
just like this huge retrospective of yeah. this icon um and then you get a flashback of the entire movie which is unnecessary but it happens uh but that's while she's singing the song and then you get the title card uh information about yeah. her yeah passing as, away. as she's singing this last review it shows you know this is her this was her last performance when she was in paris because like uh two three days later after that performance she went into like a coma and she died yeah she passed away in her sleep in her sleep uh, Not after only went doing into two a coma. shows like she just yeah i think in real life it was yeah, a coma and she died after a certain amount of time but yeah she, yeah. Only, she only did two shows before um passing into the coma afterwards um so a lot of a lot of stuff that we didn't even probably even cover in this but i don't know how much of it's like iconic about her life that should have been covered that was missing in here you know there's a lot of stuff that i don't really know i wish there was maybe like more of like actual josephine baker at the end like over the credits oh yeah you know, like some, showing yeah like side performances, by performances like her real performances or just yeah even like still promotional images to show like this is they who the show real person her, was. her real funeral that happened yeah. in paris yeah and that's, yeah, a, maybe that's, that's about all we get like rights issues i have no idea i don't know but then like when her so when she loses that her chateau and like is finally kicked out or whatever like her children are all taken away too yeah i i didn't well she she sends them away but to, i don't know to where to her husband joe oh, okay and so he then. he's like in argentina at this oh. time so they all like went to live with him basically again okay. And, um, cause he was still, he's like still technically their father. Yeah. And he says like, I'm leaving, but I'll try to like support he, them as he much doesn't as possible. Hate the children. He yeah. was just like, mad that she was. I can't keep doing this. I can't yeah. keep adding on to, I can't keep, um. Like he's going to do his job as a father and continue to take care of them. But he didn't like how she kept on bringing in more children when they needed money. Yeah. I'm not going to facilitate. I'm not going to, you know. Yes. The acting is, is really good in this, too, I'd say, across the board. I mean, this is an HBO production, so you expect that. I think, you know, it, overall it feels like a real movie. Mm-hmm. You know, it just was on HBO, and that's what, again, we expect from HBO in this. I don't have enough information about Josephine Baker to know how it compares to the real thing. Like, I don't know if Lynn Whitfield was, you know, half as glamorous as the real Josephine or whatever, but, I mean, I, she was, I don't know, it's still worked really well for me i liked her performance in this yeah all right so let's get into box office there's no box office performance because it was on hbo awards there's quite a lot uh it's emmy winning for a couple different things we got emmy winner for best actress for lynn whitfield uh also winner for best directing and best costume design best art direction and best hairstyling also nominated for best choreography music direction sound mixing makeup and supporting actor for both David Dukes, who played Joe Bouillon, and also Ruben Blades, who played Count Giuseppe. Giuseppe Pepito Abatino. Made up title. He was not actually a count. He just said he was to yeah. clout. Uh, it was also um, nominated for Best Drama and Slash Comedy Special and Miniseries, but that went to a, a production called Separate B. Golden Globe winner for Best Supporting Actor for Louis Gossett Jr., who was not nominated for an Emmy, but he won the Golden Globe. Uh, nominated for Best Actress, also Best Made-for-TV Movie. 
Image Award winner for Best Actress, Cable Ace Award win for Best Score for Georges Delarue, also uh, nominated for Best Actress but lost to Christine Lotti for Crazy from the Heart, um, and also it was Cable Ace nominated for uh, Best Movie but lost to Double Cross, which is another HBO production starring Dennis Hopper. Brian Gibson was the director of this. He's a BAFTA winner for Horizon and also Blue Remembered Hills. He was nominated for Billion Dollar Bubble. He did all the videos for the band Sticks. He did Poltergeist 2. He did What's Love Got to Do With It. Uh, and he also did The Juror. And he was also married to Lynn Whitfield around this time. They were married from 1990 to 1992. Ron Hutchinson is the writer. Emmy winner for Murders Among Us, the Simon Weisenthal story. Also nominated for Burning Season, the Chico Mendes story, which we just talked about with uh, Adam's family. Also uh, nominated for Tuskegee Airmen. And Traffic, the miniseries, which I think is a version of the movie, uh, but it's a miniseries. Also Razzie nominated for Island of Dr. Moreau. He's also written uh, Birds of Prey, not the recent DC thing, the other thing. Uh, and Connie, and he's also wrote the 1991 movie Prisoner of Honor. Uh, Lynn Whitfield is Josephine Baker, Image Award winner for I'll Fly Away, Touched by an Ang Angel, Planet of Jer Junior Brown, Redemption, the Stan Tukey Williams story, and Greenleaf, nominated for Ease Bayou, The Wedding, The Cheetah Girls, and also Greenleaf. 1991, she was also in Triumph of the Heart, the Ricky Bell story, Equal Justice for five episodes, and also five episodes of Trial of Rosie O'Neill. <laughs> so, uh, she's been around for a long time and doing a whole lot of uh, popular stuff. David Dukes as Joe Bouillon was Tony nominated for Bent. In 1991, he was in Held Hostage, the Sis and Jerry Levin story. Wife, Mother, Murderer, Under Surveillance, and also the TV show Sisters. He's been a character actor since the 1970s, um, and he, he uh, was continuing to do that until he passed away in uh, 2002, I think it was. Uh, Rose Red was his last uh, performance. But he's been in things like um, All in the Family. He had a very notable role where I guess he uh, accosted Edith Bunker in a very popular episode. I don't, I don't know if popular is the right word for that. Uh, he was on the Pauly Shore TV show. He was in Gods and Monsters. I didn't know Pauly Shore had a TV show. But that happened in the mid-90s. Uh, Louis Gossett Jr. is Sidney Williams. We've seen him once before in Toy Soldiers, but we waited until this to talk about him. Oscar and Golden Globe winner for An Officer and Gentleman, Emmy winner for Roots, nominated six different times for various different projects, including Touched by an Angel and also The Watchmen, Golden Globe nominated for Sadat, uh, Saturn nominations for Enemy Mine, Razzie nominated for Jaws 3D. He's also been in the Iron Eagle series and a whole bunch of other projects. In 1991, he's also in Cover Up, Carolina Skeletons, and Keeper of the City. Craig T. Nelson played Walter Winchell, Emmy winner and two-time nominee as well as four Golden Globe nominations for Coach, which is where I learned of him, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, being my age. Uh, MTV nominated for Best On-Screen Team for The Incredibles. He was also in Poltergeist and Silkwood. He was in 89 episodes of The District, which is a TV series I don't know anything about. 103 episodes of Parenthood, which I know you know something about. And he also has a very recurring role in Young Sheldon currently. So he's all over your TV screen. Uh, Sidney Bichette was played by Keeney Holiday, Spirit nominated for Best Supporting Actor for Great World of Sound, and in 1991 he's also in an episode of Doogie Howser. Uh, he got his start uh, 
he's also been in things like Carter. He's been in things like Carter Country. Um, he was the voice of Roadblock on G.I. Joe. And he was also in 69 episodes of Matlock before he got fired uh, from, from that role due to substance abuse problems, which I think he's since overcome. Uh, Vivian Bunnell is Josephine's mom. That's all she's credited as is Josephine's mom. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 1991, she's in the movie Switched at Birth, but she's been in things like Summer School, Ghost, Christmas in Connecticut, For Pete's Sake, Lead Belly. She's done a ton of TV guest appearances, uh, and she got her start in the West Indies, where she was born in the 1940s and early 1950s as a Calypso singer using the moniker Enid Mosier. So she has like a, a little bit of a, the singing connection in that way. Uh, and then I wanted to bring up Reuben Blades last as the Count because he's he had a more interesting life than I ever expected as well. Uh, Emmy nominated for Crazy from the Heart. Also daytime Emmy nominated for The Maldonado Miracle. Spirit nominated for Crossover Dreams. Acting wise, uh, he's currently on Fear the Walking Dead. Uh, he's in Gideon's Crossing. Color of Night in 1991. He's also in One Man's War and the Super. Aside from that, on the musical side of things, he's an 11-time Grammy Award winner for Latin, tropical, and world music. Uh, his music uh, has been on the soundtrack for certain movies like Beat Street and Oliver and Company and Do the Right Thing and a whole bunch of other different things. I had no idea about this with mm -hmm. him at all. Uh, he has law degrees from the University of Panama and international law degree from Harvard. And he also ran for the president of Panama in 1994, but he only got third place. So there's a movie waiting to be told of Ruben, Ruben Blades' story. And it is pronounced Blades. They Americanized the last name. So that's a little mini pausing on the credits for you. So we'll move on to true crime and pop culture. Okay, this movie was released on March 16th, 1991, which was a Saturday, and I do have the TV guide, and there is an ad for this Yeah. in there. I didn't read it, though. It just said something like, before Madonna, before Marilyn Monroe, there was Josephine Baker. Right. But before I get into TV, something that happened on this day, which I had nothing, I didn't know anything about, was that... So on March 15th, Reba McIntyre and her band performed for IBM executives, and they were performing in Fort Wayne. This was it. They were in California, and then they were scheduled to perform in Fort Wayne, Indiana the next day, which is the date, March 16th, the day this movie was released. And the singer and her then-husband and her stylist decided to spend the night like an extra night in California and like stay back because Reba was having a case of bronchi bronchitis but the rest of her crew headed to Fort, Fort Wayne, Indiana. This is like by private charter plane from California to Indiana. On March 16th, 1991, that at approximately 1.45 a.m. that So they, they went in two different planes and uh, the first plane crashed into the side of a mountain and 10 miles east in Ote Mountains. I was Chris Austin, Kirk Capello, Joey Signiero, Paula K. Evans, 
Jim Hammond, Terry Jackson, Anthony Saputo, and Michael Thomas, they perished in the crash, as well as the pilot and co-pilot. The second plane carrying two more of McIntyre's band members took off a few minutes later, and they were unaware of the tragedy that happened before them. But that plane landed in Indiana. When Reba found out about this, she... I mean, obviously was devastated and they had to, like, cancel, you know, performances. But because of this crash, Reba made her 17th album that was released in 1991, which is blew my mind because, I mean, this happened in March. And then this album called For My Broken Heart was dedicated to all the men that died in that crash. And that was released on October 1st, 1991. This became like one of the highest rating charting albums of that of this year for country music. And it was on the Billboard 200 chart and it peaked at number 13. And it's also one of McIntyre's biggest selling studio albums selling 4 million copies. So moving on to TV. So on Saturday, March 16th, 1991, we did, there was an SNL and we did watch it and it was probably one of the worst, not because it was like bad or anything, but we, they took like a full hour out. Yeah, uh, that's on Peacock. Peacock. So it was uh, hosted by Michael J. Fox and the band was the Black Crows. The Black Crows performed Thick and Thin and She Talks to Angels. We didn't see that performance at all. And it was also A. Whitney Brown's final episode as a cast member. He was in, we sh- briefly saw him in the weekend update. Yeah, that's pretty much all he does. Yeah, he, I mean, he, he occasionally like, is on sketches, but mostly just weekend like writing update and stuff. Because I know he went to do like Daily Show and stuff like that. He, uh, he was a big favorite of my parents and uncle. But I, I was never. Yeah, <laughs> like, I was too young I, to really I was care too about young. the political yeah, like, stuff. Yeah, all that political, like, I didn't even know who he was until, like, I looked him up. I was like, oh, that guy. <laughs> yeah, no, I knew of him. <laughs> but, yeah, the, the SNL episode that's on Peacock is, like, 25 minutes long. We get the cold open, it was about Desert Storm just ending, and how uh, President... George Bush was, you know, giving his speech and people are just like standing up and clapping every two seconds. Like, I I mean, I would have to look at the real speech to know like what they're referencing, you know? Yeah, it's 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 sort of commenting on how after every word you just stand up yeah, and stand applaud, up and applaud no matter what union type of a situation. Because all he says is, you know, Desert Storm. Desert Storm and, and they then stand, people up and clap. stand up. Yeah. And then it becomes a joke of Dan Quayle, played by Michael J. Fox, not knowing when to stand or clap and doing things wrong, and mm-hmm. and um, I don't know who, uh, I don't know who Phil Hartman's supposed to be playing. Right, and he's like guiding him through the process. Yeah. Like, no, no, don't. D- yeah, not, not, I mean, no. it's funny just seeing yeah. that because I mean, I don't like I don't I wasn't watching this when I was like ten, so I don't know if Dan Quayle was doing that. Yeah, I mean. Or if they're just making fun of him. It's easy to make fun of Dan Quayle yeah. these days and pretty much all of that. Yeah, everything just portrayed him as So that, we didn't even see Michael J. Fox's 
intro like at all it just the monologue was missing and we only saw one sketch of him in it was was like with the with that was a bad sketch about clowns and yeah he's like needles the clown or something like that or what they literally yeah what they do is literal like he he's like putting needles in a bag and it's like, like an hr meeting between him and like the the head of the circus right that's it's not good yeah and then it's the weekend update and then we have like one other like one or two other sketches and none of them neither of them have michael j fox in it yeah so. it was a Stuart smalley thing which is right. just Stuart smalley you didn't even have a guest on there it's right just, you know and then you have weekend uh we have the chia head commercial mm-hmm. where it's a balding treatment um, and then a couple of deep thoughts from Jack Handy, which aren't that strong. And then it's it. That's it. Yeah, this uh, this episode was like one of the worst. Weekend Update did reference New Jack City and If Looks Could Kill. So we got a couple of 1991 yeah. movie references in there. But, but I mean, the ones, the skits that were taken out were the actual funny ones. Just right. re- referencing. <laughs> or the, the ones that we remember being funny. Yeah, the ones <laughs> like the elevator guys talking to michael j fox about you know yeah, going back in time being like, a big fan yeah like we're big fans of you and they just start singing his songs at him yeah or songs from the movie at him yeah streaming rights are weird i don't like it i don't like how these things are like just put don't, together. like at that point i don't even want to watch the episode at all if you just strip everything yeah if, if you're just going to take out like most of the stuff then why present it as an episode you might as well just say here are some clips Right. You know, don't pretend, don't pretend like this is the full thing. Yeah. So the other thing that was on TV at this time that really piqued my interest in it, there's also an ad for it in the TV guide that we got, is this, it's considered like the beginning of a reality show. Okay. And it's this Fox... It was on Fox. Of course. And, yeah. <laughs> it was, it's, the show is called Yearbook, and it's a documentary TV-style show. It mm. only lasted a season. It was nine episodes. A TV series that aired on Fox beginning March 7th. So this was, like, March 16th was, like, Me the too, second yeah. episode. And it's considered one of the earliest examples of a reality TV series where it chronicled the school and home lives of various students of Glenbard West High School in Glen Ellen, Illinois. Hmm. It was critically acclaimed, filmed over a six-month period, five days a week by Chicago videographer Ned Miller. It was in, like, a Betacam video format, and it just showed quote the real life version of like teens they kind of wanted to do like a john hughes type of thing so it was interviewing people from the high school was mostly like seniors like in their last year stuff that you would probably deal with in high school like homecoming or prom and then it was kind of like degrassi where like all their tr- like tr- like whatever if they have trouble life at home like dealing with like teen pregnancy stuff like that and I'm very interested in watching it and I tried to find it on YouTube and they don't have it but they do have a promo for it. Okay. Yeah, it sounds fascinating. To me. I I want to see it. 
So we'll go into rankings and ratings then. Where on your one to five star scale are you gonna put the Josephine Baker story? Um, I mean, I might give this a three. I think that's pretty fair. I, I, on my zero to four star scale, I'm gonna say it's a three as well. I think I've been giving a lot of threes lately. I mean, yeah, I'm doing a lot of twos and threes. We haven't had any, like, amazing, amazing movies. I think what really makes this movie decent is, I mean, it's it's well-produced, it's well-made, it's well-acted, but it it got us interested about Josephine Baker's life. Like, yeah, that's, that's what it I does mean, it the makes best. me want to know more, and I want an updated version of it but I want it like a 10-part series. Yeah, it needs to get into the more details about some of the specifics because or this is very... Or even like a documentary style. Yeah, yeah. Like, we don't even have to do a biopic. Definitely not. Yep. I just want to know more about her life because she's like a I mean, very fascinating person. you need actors to reenact person. certain things while right. having a narration and having like the supporting paper documents, then fine. Because obviously a lot of this is before film. Right. You know, motion picture film. So, um, but yeah, it, it, it did its job in that it got us interested in, in an important historical figure. Every movie's worth watching once. Would you watch this again? No, actually. Yeah, probably not. I mean, again, it's, just it's not... For the same things that I just said. Yeah, like, it's not I just bad, want to see... but like, we're not going to get anything new out of it. Right. Like, it, it did its job and it's done. Now let something else supplement it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, no need to revisit. However, if you out there do want to watch the Josephine Baker story as of this recording in October 23, 2023, it's only available on VHS or DVD, not streaming anywhere, not even digital rental. But check your local listings as that could change. As for us, you can listen to us on all the major podcasting platforms. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. You can email us at 1991movierewind at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, YouTube, just search 1991 Movie Rewind, or go to 1991movierewind.com for the fullest of movies along with show notes and more. Next week, we're continuing our biography month with Not Without My Daughter. That's available on Prime, Tubi, MGM Plus, Digital Rental, VHS, DVD. We will see you then. Peace.